Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Empire. An esports unicorn in Asia is coming to America. To me, esports simply feels like another engagement mode or revenue stream for the potential of the game. So if you think whatever the addressable market is for Call of Duty, that maybe plus 20, 30% is the addressable market for Call of Duty esports. That's Matt McCloskey, Vice President and GM for the U.S. markets for the Mobile Premier League, where gaming and esports collide. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein. We spoke to the founder of the Mobile Premier League some months back as they were fundraising and exploding in Asia with a variety of games, tournaments, and of course, micro betting opportunities. Now the league is coming to America with the hope of catching a similar wave of users here. Our guest this week is Matt McCloskey, who is the new vice president and general manager of the North American markets for the Mobile Premier League, which is one of the largest mobile esports platforms, and it is based in Asia. Hey, Matt, how are you? Thanks for joining us. Yeah, nice to nice to be here, Bram. You know, not that long ago we had, and we were talking about this before we started taping, we had the founder of the Mobile Premier League, Scion, um, some time ago, and I think I asked him yeah. about America, and I think he was probably burying the lead a little bit with the growth that is there. So um, tell me about what attracted you to wanting to work with the Mobile Premier League and grow it here stateside. Yeah, um, thanks. So I think there were three things that really interested me about Mobile Premier League. Number one, um, the idea of democratizing tournament winning to lots and lots of people is something that I had actually pitched twice in my career before. I had pitched it once at Xbox in the context of esports and once at Amazon's Twitch in the context of building communities and supporting esports from the streaming side as well. Both times found for, I would say, legal comfort reasons around the whole real money gaming category, but I knew it was going to happen eventually. So it's just been something I've been involved in esports for many, many years, going back to Halo and then Xbox and then Twitch. And I knew this was going to happen eventually. I just didn't know who was going to do it. So when Mobile Premier League came on and I started talking about, you know, huge global scale platforms where instead of, you know, 160 people participating in a tournament where the top four teams of four people each get to participate in the tournament prize, you could have 100,000 people sign up and 50,000 people get to participate in some way. And that's something I've just known is going to happen in our industry. And uh, Mobile Premier League seemed like they got the jump on it coming from India with the kind of scale that they have um, in 
the demographics of young people and mobile uh, penetrating in India. So it seemed like an exciting opportunity to do something I knew was going to happen. Um, let's talk about the legalities here for a moment. We're still in murky territory, obviously, as jurisdictions change around the country in and around, um, the type of activities that you're talking about. Could you just kind of give me a broad view of how you see that working here now and maybe into the not too distant future as more states and jurisdictions legalize gambling? Yeah. So we're not gambling. Number one. So let's be super clear on that. What we're doing is Esports with tournament prizes. Some of those tournament prizes are cash. And I, I want to be clear on that because I know other people may disagree with us. Those, those people are generally uh, regulators who are not as familiar with video games and esports. But you wouldn't say Mobile Premier League is gambling any more than you would say the PGA is gambling. People pay to enter tournaments and they participate in tournament prizes. And nobody questions that golf is a game of skill, for example. Well, me having come up through the video game industry, it doesn't even enter my mind that playing video games is not a game of skill. It is entirely a game of skill. And so we only do uh, the esports and the tournament prizing around games of skill. And that's a pretty clear line that we try to uh, hold on to. Now, some jurisdictions, a majority of jurisdictions and state jurisdictions in the U.S. have caught up to that and understand that distinction, and some are still working on it. And so how do you view navigating that where state by state there is a different viewpoint on the game of skill? Yeah, well, I mean, we have to have, um, you know, state by state blocks and make sure we're compliant with whatever the legal jurisdiction is, and we have a whole bunch of lawyers and technology that help us block in states where it's prohibited. Um, you know, another problem is right now we can't be on the Google Play Store. Uh, interestingly enough, this is one of the scenarios where uh, iOS is actually farther ahead and more progressive in their policies than Google is. Usually it's the other way around, but in this case, Apple is taking the lead. Um, and so we have to comply where we are. And then over time, uh, we'll just make sure we stay within the lines. And then eventually we hope that people who are writing those regulations catch up to the trends that are happening in gaming and around the world. And we hope they catch up. And if, and if not, we're happy to help them understand the video game industry. I mean, I'm with you here on the big picture. Why do you think some of the companies that were here, specifically the ones you were working for, were reluctant? to jump into this? Uh, big companies like Amazon and Microsoft are subject to intense regulatory scrutiny. And they have a whole bunch of other issues that happen in terms of monopoly risks and other risks and their threshold for um, compliance and risk is in the hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars. So I don't believe it was actually a legal assessment. It was just a risk and perception assessment. Yeah those companies given their risk profile. All right. So uh, tell me a little bit about your experience with those companies, if you can, that you want to take with you as you help mobile premier league build in the United States. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so let's see, I started with Xbox in 2004. Uh, so I was kind of in the middle of the Xbox 360, what they call the gen six console wars and the gaming industry there. Um, so I was there for 12 and a half years, spent a lot on the third party side, dealing with all the traditional video game publishers like Electronic Arts and Take-Two. 
And then I spent the last six years as CEO, COO of 343 Industries, which is the studio that manages the Halo franchise after Bungie had spun out to go work on uh, Destiny and some new projects. And it was during that Halo time where I really started getting into esports per se. Like um, a lot of console esports had started out uh, with Halo 2 back in the day. And so we, with Halo 4 and then especially with Halo 5, we created a Halo Championship Series, which was a whole new uh, tournament structure for Halo players there. And I also uh, participated in a bunch of Xbox-wide um, esports, you know, cross-functional collaborations, lots of efforts within Xbox over the years to engage with esports. From that experience, I think the number one thing that I learned that I'll bring to MPL is that esports is an evolution of online multiplayer community. So a lot of people had this perception at the time, maybe they still do, that esports is somehow different or that it's more analogous to traditional sports. I know you come from traditional sports or yep. at least from the podcast on that side of things. So I, I don't, and I actually philosophically kind of disagree on a lot of the analogies and, and parallels that people <laughs> Right. between traditional sports and video games. So the way I think about it is, if you go back, originally video games were you against the computer, right? And so that's a certain amount of excitement, but AI and computers are only so good and they're still not as good as other people. So if you went from what we, call, what we would call single player games, that was fun. And then all of a sudden the person you're playing against is an actual person, not just the computer, which means they're way good and they're way craftier and it's more exciting. Okay, so that's more fun when it's a real person. Now you're into multiplayer gaming. And then this whole idea of watching people play esports, if you go mainstream, I remember when I first started working at Twitch, mainstream people would be like, "What? what's Twitch? People are watching other people play video games? That's so weird. Why are they playing the games themselves? Like non-gamers? It would seem strange. But for gamers, we've been sitting around passing the controller to each other on the couch for 25 years. We've been having LAN parties on PC, watching other people play games mm. is video game. It's totally normal, right? And so- Well, what, what is was, analogous there is um, yeah. I could just go play basketball or I could watch the Lakers play the Rockets. And, <laughs> you know, so there is an analogy right. there that, that is akin to one another for sure. Oh, absolutely. Don't get me wrong. There are a lot of analogies. There are a lot of false analogies as well. So watching people play is certainly one that traditional yeah. sports does as well. But for example, I still believe the majority of people who are deeply engaged with watching esports are also players of the game. Yes, they I agree. They may not be currently playing, but they're formerly players of the game. And I think that proportion is radically different in esports than it is in sports. Like I will watch football. I've never played. Okay, I played flag football in eighth grade, but I've never actually actively played football. Um, whereas I'm pretty sure if you go to the League of Legends, people that are viewing and people are like, oh my God, there's 100,000 people or 200,000 people watching this League of Legends sports. They can't all be players. Well, actually they can because there's like 7 million people a day playing that game. Right. So your proportions of players to watchers is radically different for video games than it is in traditional sports. 
Um, there are just a lot more players, and so you have a lot yeah. more overlap. Yeah, and, and I think in that regard, and and not to bring it back to traditional sports, but it, it does appear that they were slow to either, and I'm not. I'd like to hear your opinion on this. Um, yeah. To either partner with or work with, and not quite understand that there was a tie-in. I don't know how to put this. I'm with you. There was this arm's length approach to it for a long time that never truly made sense. And yet it did exist. And it seems like that they've suddenly recognized the massive scale that is involved in esports, and now kind of want to circle back around and bring them back into their tent in some way. And in some ways they don't know how to do it. Is that a, is that a, fair way to put it Sorry, do you, you mean traditional yes. sports engaging with mm-hmm. video games? yes yeah yeah i i actually think my my favorite example of this was the uh tnt turner investment in the counter-strike league and i remember watching the inside nba with shafley and all those guys and they had i forget what the game was but they had a counter-strike tournament going at the same time during the nba season and during one inside nba halftime report they had the, the NBA, the inside NBA desk. And then right behind them, they had the esports desk and the guy, and they had a caller and announcer who was talking about what was going on in Counter-Strike. And literally Shaq and Charles just made fun of yeah. the, the nerds the whole time. Yeah. And they're like, what is this? This isn't real. This is crazy. And yeah. you can tell the esports guys were really trying to catch up and doing their best. Total disconnect. Like there's no world in which people who watch NBA could care at all about Counter-Strike. As a matter of fact, another thing that people outside the video game industry don't understand is that like Call of Duty players don't care about Halo players. Halo players don't care about Call of Duty players. So just because you're in video games or a first-person shooter doesn't mean there's an active community around, let's say, first-person shooters. I've had a lot of conversations with people in in NASCAR, and it is funny because they'll say, you know, our fans aren't F1 fans and aren't aren't Le Mans fans, and you'd be shocked. You know, you would think that auto racing fans would like NASCAR, IndyCar, F1, whatever, and they don't. So to your point, there are silos of people that are fans or active participants, which I think is what you're getting at that is very different about esports. I may like auto racing, but I'm certainly not going to be driving in Monaco anytime soon. But if I'm a fan of Fortnite, I probably play it. You probably play it. Exactly. And remember, it's really hard to watch these things and know what's going on if you haven't played the game. That's right. Let's be honest. You watch a Fortnite stream. If you don't know how to play Fortnite, you're either just watching the entertaining uh, picture in picture of the streamers and they're just entertaining. Right. And then that's just like watching people scream and uh, you know, talk trash to each other and have fun, or you have to understand what's going on in the game. And yeah. so for the most part, it's impossible. Whereas, let's say like NBA or football, you don't actually have to know as much about what's going on in the game to just enjoy it because it's visually stunning, it's exciting, there's lots going on, they're big, impressive athletes that are doing amazing things, and there's someone that kind of explaining it all to you. And it's slow enough that they can explain it to you. These, these games are super fast. They're hard to track. If you know, don't know what's going on, you'll come in and watch it for a little while, but you won't stay. So in my estimation, the people that stay with an eSports and are the regular fans of an eSport, 
they have played they have played that game. I could be wrong. There are always exceptions, obviously. But in general, my assumption when thinking about esports as a business is that they have played that game and the esports activities are a natural extension of the multiplayer community of that game. That's why the Halo esports fans, they're Halo players. And Call of Duty is a fundamentally different first-person shooter than Halo. And then there's Call of Duty fans. You may switch over at, at a time, yeah. but that's almost as radical toward the athletes in that space huh. as moving from, uh, from baseball to basketball. So yeah, Michael Jordan can say I'm a great baseball player, but he's fundamentally a basketball player. People can switch over, but it's, it's not, and it's more common here than between Halo and Call of Duty. But there's also animosity. Like Halo people don't like Call of Duty and Call of Duty players don't like Halo. And you have to have different tunings and it's very localized. So what happens is the people who are really interested in Halo esports are the Halo online multiplayer community. They're the people that play every day and they hang out and they want to watch each other play. And when they get an opportunity to watch the best in the world at their hobby, they're really excited about it. Yeah. Um, let's talk, let me talk about the market opportunity with you for a moment. I, I think this is semi akin to, and you can disagree with me if you want that of the boom in fantasy sports participation for traditional sports fans in which it became a participatory thing. But to your point, it is really out of your control. You are essentially hoping for, you know, performance to occur by real life human beings. And there's no sense of what, they're going to do on a field on that day, but you're in the same game of skill idea, trying to beat your opponent at projecting what's going to happen here. Um, yours is participant. Yours, you know what I mean? Is participatory. Um, can you kind of give a sense of what you think that looks like maybe in comparison to the behemoth fantasy sports or something else that comes to mind that you could compare this kind of market to? Um, well, I guess to me, because it's a continuum between people that play the game and people that watch the game and the communities that are built around the game, to me, esports simply feels like another engagement mode or revenue stream for the potential of the game. So if you think whatever the addressable market is for Call of Duty, that maybe plus 20, 30% is the addressable market for Call of Duty esports. Yeah whatever you think the potential is for chess around the world or whatever you think you are, that's what it is. Now, if you want to add all those up just the same way people add them up to estimate what the global video game market is. Yes. Sure. You can do that now. Um, but that's kind of how I, I think about it. I just think about it. These are communities built around a game. And now just as you would have different modes within the game, single player, multiplayer, capture the flag, etc. Now you have a new mode called viewing. It's a viewing mode of people who hang out with yeah. the game. That's awesome. And that just makes it another 20, 30% bigger and it's total addressable mark. Yep. Um, okay. So tell me a little bit about how you view, obviously mobile premier league grew quickly in Asia and now it's over yeah. here. Um, how do you kind of view uh, growing it here as it is not a brand. I mean, you, you've worked with brands that people know very well here, Twitch, Xbox, others. Um, how do you view growing this brand here in America? So the number one 
thing to me, and this actually answers part of your previous questions about what do I bring to it from, let's say, Xbox and Twitch, is this focus on games and game communities. So to me, the the meta brand of the or the meta game of the MPL Pro app around big tournaments is the differentiator, but it has to be embraced by great games and great gaming communities. So over time, I would want to get bigger games, bigger branded games, bigger game communities that have this additional feature of uh, you know cash tournaments on top of it. That is a complement to the existing game and the gaming community that they already have. For example, we have a uh, eight ball blast pool game. So there's actually, if you look at the other uh, eight ball pool games and pool games that are on mobile, it's a pretty big community. There's a lot of people playing that game right now. So I would want to get to the point where in the US, our version of that game is best in class. It's the best pool game out there. And we can pull everybody from that larger category community to play our game and then have better retention uh, because, in fact, a, a larger portion of them than can today could participate in premium tournaments. Um, so to me, it's all about the games and the game community. You have great games, you can do anything. You have lousy games, you're always going to have to pay for acquisition and it's going to be tough. It's all very interesting and very cool. Congratulations on the new role and good luck. Matt McCloskey is the new Vice President General Manager for North America for the Mobile Premier League. Thanks so much for joining us. Absolutely. Thank you, Bram. On the next Future Sport Podcast, within the traditional sports world, a modern approach to connectivity and gaming is emerging. So what we're doing is sort of gamifying the competition around uh, what is going to happen. And of course, prediction is a big piece of that. Um, if you knew what was going to happen in the game, uh, it probably wouldn't be all that as interesting. That's Ken Martin, CEO and co-founder of Green Park Sports, which is transforming the fan experience through all forms of virtual merchandise and connectivity. That will do it for this episode. As always, the future is now. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein.